Hi and welcome. I'm Arul, and today we're going to be talking about the masterpiece film Rafiki. Rafiki is a beautiful film <clears throat> centered on the unlikely and colorful romance between Ziki and Kenna, two young women living in Nairobi, Kenya. just wanted to tell a love story. I was really kind of frustrated by the fact that everybody else got love stories from around the world. So Europeans got love stories, Americans got lots and lots and lots and lots of love stories, but Africans didn't have that many love stories. That's the film's director, Wanuri Kahiyu. She adapted the film from Monica Arakdenyeko's Jambula Tree, an acclaimed short story published in 2008. In this film, which is her second feature film, Kahiu brilliantly navigates the stigmatized ideas of a lesbian relationship in the middle of a homophobic society. She integrates these themes with a variety of concerns about LGBTQ individuals in Nairobi, economic opportunity, public health crises, outlets of expression and joy, and finally, religion and religious dehumanization, which is going to be the focus of this podcast. As a brief precursor to our discussion of the movie, it's important to consider the backdrop of cultural attitudes towards LGBTQ people in Kenya. The country's constitution criminalizes homosexual acts and carries a jail sentence of 5 to 14 years for such acts. Here's a first-hand description of what it's like to grow up gay in Kenya from activist and communications director of the Gay and Lesbian Coalition Kenya, Brian uh, Makaria. People who identify as lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, and non-binary um, experience a multitude of you know challenges in different spheres. Um, there is what is you know real I, you know, identity where a person legitimately and publicly identifies as a member of the LGBTQ community. And there are those who are perceived to be LGBTQ to be members of the LGBTQ community, either be it from uh, engaging in media representation and media correspondence such as this, or just people who, um, you know, you walk a certain way, you talk a certain way, you have physical gestures and gender expression that do not conform or are kind of in conflict. Macharia's views ring true for many in the LGBTQ community. It's interesting to note the difference that Macharia describes between self-identifying as a member of, uh, of the LGBTQ community and society labeling one as part of this community. Both are subject to significant backlash. In addition, as we will dive into further in the podcast, religion is heavily intertwined with the embellishment of homophobic views in society. Just listen to this clip of Reverend Benvix Simiyu of Pag Makadara Church, courtesy of VOA News. In Kenya, we don't believe in that. In Kenya, we are Christians and we, we, we confess a family that we support uh, a man to marry a woman, not a man to marry another a fellow man. Now, back to Rafiki. Wanuri Kahiu is a brilliant storyteller and cinematographer who uses powerful motifs and metaphors to accentuate strong themes in her film. A great example of this is the use of color and color contrast. 
From the opening scene, during the first two minutes of the movie, we see Kenna in a bright pink t-shirt. Her shorts are a stark greenish brown, and her left ear dons the characteristic single earring we see throughout the movie. She rides a skateboard under the Nairobi sun, shoulders erect and pointed to the side, face aimed directly forward. Kenna's posture and clothing showcase her strength and individuality with vivid colors and bold choices. There is contrast that Kahiyu highlights between Kenna's bright t-shirt and her doll shorts. This is accentuated by the faded gray and pink colored exteriors of the surrounding apartment complexes. The grays resemble a concrete prison, perhaps the long-standing oppression of gay people in Kenya while the pinks mark a subtle reference to the love that blossoms in this movie between Kenna and Ziki in the face of such societal impositions. As the film continues, Kahiyu continues to expertly wield the power of color. Thirty minutes into the film, as the two women embark on their first actual date and attend a nightclub, we see several close-up shots of each painting the other's face with dots of bright, strong colors greens, pinks, blues, and yellows. We hear the beautiful melody of Ignited by Mumbi Kasumba in the background, the lone acoustic guitar enhancing our connection to these spectacular women. Soon we see no light, but just dots in darkness, painted skin, outlining two figures dancing in the night. Later in the movie, once both girls' parents have discovered their romantic relationship, we see the true interplay of religion and homophobia. In one moving scene an hour and two minutes into the movie, Kenna's parents are arguing over whether demons have possessed their daughter. Kenna runs outside the room, likely devastated and trapped by her parents' conversation. Two minutes later, we are thrust into a scene where Kenna sits in the middle of a cluster of people. A priest in the background chants sermons. Four or five people each place their hands on top of Kenna's head and shoulders. Her mother stands off to the side, weeping on a friend's shoulder. Kenna is in the middle of the frame. Her face is illuminated by daylight coming from both sides of the frame, but not from the top. It is blocked by the people's figures. She stares directly into the camera with a piercing gaze. She wears a dull green shirt and again dons the single earring on her left ear. The scene speaks to the terrible intersectionality between religion and homophobia. The priest in the background wears a bright purple shirt, enthusiastic in his sermons, while Kenna holds the weight of this homophobic society on her shoulders. Her anger, frustration, and helplessness are palpable through the screen. We see a glimmer of hope, however, in her single earring. Sharp and pointed, it reminds us of Kenna's own strength and tenacity. The color may indeed be drained from her face and absent from her clothes, but this earring foreshadows the hopeful ending of the movie, in which the two girls, after spending ten years apart, reunite. We see Kenna on a grassy hill as the sun sets, the camera pointed in its direction so as to bathe the entire scene in a surreal, natural orange light. We first hear a voice and then see Ziki's orange fingernails touch Kenna's shoulder. It is a beautiful scene of freedom and reconciliation. As we saw in the film, attitudes of homophobia are strongly maintained and propagated by religion. 
Mbote and colleagues conducted a 2016 study on the attitudes of Kenyan religious leaders towards homosexual as well as gender non-conforming individuals. Acknowledging that Kenya's population is 84% Christian and 11% Muslim, the team sent a self-administered questionnaire to religious leaders at churches and mosques in urban as well as rural areas of Kenya. Priests at four Hindu temples in Nairobi were also asked to participate, but they, along with a small cohort of Christian and Muslim religious leaders, refused to let any document entertaining homosexuality even enter their congregation. Of those who did respond, the results were striking. Of the 212 leaders surveyed, 99% agreed that their religion decried homosexual activity as a sin, and 87% thought it would go against their religion to decriminalize homosexuality in Kenya. Just under half believed that homosexuality was a choice, and four leaders even referred to homosexuality as, quote, demonic, cursed, or evil, unquote. Another shocking and saddening note is that close to a third of those surveyed believed that, quote, in the case of homosexuality, violence helps to protect our cultural values, end quote. These data strikingly display the rootedness of homophobia in religious structures. This data was nuanced also by the fact that close to 50% of priests viewed both homosexual and transgender individuals with a, quote, very or mostly favorable, unquote, opinion. This may signal a shift in religious ideologies regarding LGBTQ plus individuals. It's just an interesting and confusing data point. Hey, they started beating me up and then lifted me high and dragged me out of the house and then uh, went on with the beating, which went on for quite some hours, two, three hours. Did you fear for your life? Yes, I did. That was the voice of George Barasa, a gay Kenyan singer describing an act of violence against him by a mob of people. After he came out as gay and HIV positive and produced a music video called Same Love that illuminated the struggles of gay people in Kenya, George was arrested numerous times and then attacked by this mob. This prompted him to flee to South Africa, where his application for asylum was in fact rejected for him not being gay enough. The South African government eventually denied his request after two years of limbo in the country. He was subsequently offered shelter by Canada. George's story was quite striking to me, although unsurprising. His is just another example of violence perpetrated by homophobia. We saw from the previous study that a third of Kenyan religious leaders believe violence against LGBTQ plus people is justified. And also we saw in the Rafiki, Right, the terrible scene of the group of boys and men who mercilessly beat up Ziki in Kenna. What's more is that these ideas of homophobia and violence against LGBTQ plus individuals may actually be fostered in individuals at a much younger age, in school. Dr. Winnie Muchera, a brilliant professor of educational psychology at Ball State University in Indiana, as well as someone who has established strong, strong ties with uh, the kids in the communities of Kenya, uh, conducted a 2016 study uh, on attitudes towards homosexuality held by children in high school. 1,250 students from boys only, girls only, and co-ed boarding as well as day schools completed the survey. Once again, as with the religious leaders, the results were strongly negative. Half of the students believed sexual starvation 
to be the primary cause of homosexuality. When you include those who believe the primary cause to be the influence of Western culture, as well as demons slash Satan, that number jumps to more than 90%. Most students, in addition, believe that prayers and counseling could fix homosexual behavior. Another striking statistic, 95% of the students believed homosexuality was abnormal behavior. In addition from being extremely saddening, these results show the complete misinformation that kids are growing up with regarding members of the LGBTQ community in Kenya. This early education affected in large part by the religious affiliations that most schools hold just leads to an incredible cognitive distortion in these young people. They then go on to adulthood, externalizing these beliefs onto others and also engaging in internal mental turmoil if they happen to have non-conforming sexualities and or genders themselves. A final note is that in my research, I even stumbled upon a video titled Homosexuality in Schools, published by Kenya Citizen TV. A few minutes in, I realized the video was not about homosexuality, but about sexual assault the conflation of homosexuality and sexual assault. What a saddening, destructive, and completely backwards thought. Homosexuality in schools is a subject that many people consider, figuratively speaking, as dirty linen that they'd rather not air in public. But with such increasing cases of sexual abuse, maybe it's time for a little bit of laundry, an overhaul in the education system and curriculum. In light of these issues of systemic and ingrained homophobia, there is a long ways to go. Progress must be made with respect to education, first and foremost, in order to rectify misinformation about LGBTQ people in Kenyan schools. Policy must include and reflect the equality of all human beings. We must begin to regard views like the following, expressed by a reverend after the monumental 2019 Kenyan court ruling that maintained the criminalization of homosexuality as a discriminatory, homophobic, and wrong mistake of the past. Leaders. The country has been defended by this ruling, and therefore, even us, there is a voice of God that is speaking now to say that we have listened to the voice of God, and that voice of God is enshrined in our constitution. Thank you 